The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Well, I read this week that um, just 37% of Canadians believe in the devil or demons. And you know what? Um, the devil actually likes it that way. He likes the fact that so few people believe in him. He would prefer that you never gave him another thought or that you considered him uh, to be a myth or a metaphor. Now, the people of Jesus' day, the people that we see in the gospel, they were a little smarter than the average Canadian because they knew the reality of demonic activity in their lives and in the world. And in Luke chapter 11, where we're going to be today, Jesus casts a demon out of a man and sets off a discussion that actually gives us some pretty significant insight into how demons interact with and influence us in our world today. And we would do really well to give our full attention to this, to understand what Jesus was saying, because we believe, I think we would all sense this without me having to rehearse a lot of what's been going on in the newspapers these days, in the news and what we've been seeing, that I think we live in an increasingly dark time. A world, uh, the world around us is rapidly being enveloped by darkness and often that darkness is masquerading as light. And what is ap apparent to me as I see all of this is that a society as a whole and uh, families and individuals like you and me are falling victim to all kinds of evil and being taken down by the devil's deceptions. And the singular remedy is to acknowledge, first of all, this is important, to kind of go against the 37% trend and to acknowledge that personal evil exists. And by that I mean there is a devil and he has demons and they are working in this world behind the scenes mostly to undo our lives. They're intent on your ruin. And then to further acknowledge, and this is really the thrust of uh, this message, to acknowledge that single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ and his word is the only guaranteed protection against demonic activity in our lives. So that's what we're going to see in the text today. I want to read from Luke's gospel, chapter 11, uh, 14 through 28. And then we'll start working through this. Speaking of Jesus, Luke writes, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. 
And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Four things you need to know about demons from this. Uh, Yes, demons are uh, real and do at times manifest themselves in ways that are what we would call like traditionally demonic ways, things that are uh, very obviously evil ways, uh, ways that are depicted in the scriptures. And I have uh, personally, I, on my first trip to Haiti quite a number of years ago, I remember being in a Baptist church and a young lady was there and she was very obviously showing signs of being a demon possessed. It was quite alarming for me as a young man of uh, 16 years old to see that kind of thing, but it was uh, very consistent with what we would have seen in the scriptures and the way the leaders of that church dealt with it was very consistent uh, with what we see in the scriptures. And it shouldn't be surprising at all that in a, in a national context, like Haiti, where there's an obsession with uh, voodoo worship, where literally the country has put an invitation out to Satan to kind of have his residence there and have his way with the people, shouldn't be surprising that we would see that kind of thing there. And the churches, the leaders of those churches, take that very seriously. But let's not be naive. The devil is just as active here. But we live in this in this rationalistic Western culture where I believe, and it can be argued, that demons just play a much more subtle game. That it's a lot less obvious to us, but they're no less involved. The Bible makes it clear. Let me show you two verses before we really start getting into uh, these uh, four characteristics of demons. But, but look... 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, he's obvious, he's out there, he's overt. In certain situations, that's the devil's MO. He comes as himself seeking to lead people to himself. But the scriptures also say this, Paul wrote, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Sometimes he comes in a very subtle way, a very a confusing way to some people, a way that seems like he's on the, on the good guy's side, and he's not. And so it shouldn't be too surprising to us that Satan uses various tactics depending on the context. 
And so no matter whether the demons and Satan work overtly as they do in Haiti or covertly as they more normally do here in, you know, in, a, in a country like Canada, uh, these four things we're going to talk about are, listen, they're always true of him. They're always true of the demons that work with him. So let's look at this first one. Uh, they're powerful. Uh, they're powerful. Four things you need to know about demons. Uh, verse 14, uh, we know that this man... The, the whole context for this discussion was this man who had a demon, he was demon-possessed, and the demon had rendered him mute. He couldn't speak. And so obviously they're powerful. They kept this man from being able to say anything. And then as the whole thing played out and he cast the demon out of this man, uh, then, then he tells this little, Jesus tells this little parable, this little illustration or story, sets up a hypothetical situation, if you will, and we see the tremendous uh, power of demons. This is in verses 21, 22. Look at it. When a strong man, that's the reference to the demon. When a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. So obviously Jesus is acknowledging this demon as a strong man. This is Jesus, the all-powerful one, acknowledging that a, that a demon nonetheless is a is a strong one. Verse 22, but when one stronger than he, who's stronger than the demon? Yeah, Jesus is. Jesus is. Attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides um, his spoil. And so we see the tremendous strength of the demons. We see the greater strength of God, which if we could just pause for a second and just say is the exact reason why if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ and you're under the blood of Christ, there's never a need never at any time to be afraid of anything evil or demonic in this world. There's never, never a need to be afraid of that because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, amen? And so we never fear that, never fear it, even though they're powerful. And then in verse 26, again in this hypothetical situation that Jesus is using, the original possessing demon, he's, he's strong enough that when he is cast out, that he can actually come back and he can rally the support of other demons to come with him and bring increased power and oppression to that person's life and um, wreak even more havoc for him. Could we agree that demons are powerful? And, and some of the ways that that shows up, we've seen one way here, physical ailments, mental impairment, all of these are depicted in scripture, superhuman strength, at times clairvoyance, an ability to see uh, something that's going to happen or to have information that other people don't know about. Demons can do that. Depression, violent behavior, loss of sanity. Sometimes uh, the demon will bring greater clarity and insight. And again, all that to say they're powerful. They're also determined. Verses 24 through 26 we saw already they repossess a man who was once freed. There was an exorcism that took place and the person was freed of that, but the demon came back and uh, they aren't to, they, listen, once they're beaten down, they're not about to give up because they're very determined to, to, to fulfill the purpose that they have in life. They're always looking for an opening to fulfill their evil plans. And so for the follower of Christ, and you just said, never let your guard down. Never let your guard down. 
And if you have gained victory over sin and evil in your life in some area, you want to make sure that the doors to that area are shut and closed and locked. That you're not providing an opportunity in any way for evil, for sin to creep back in. We make no provision for the flesh. We're not letting the the evil one have a toehold where once he had a foothold. We don't toy with anything that is obviously evil and obviously sin. We don't want to play around with anything that's obviously demonic. Because we see here that exorcism does not mean the permanent exile of the demon from the one who was possessed. What Jesus is saying here is that unless the Holy Spirit fills the person, indwells the person, that being, here's, this is the language here, that being swept and put in order, that's the person's life getting rid of the, deacon, the demon, not the deacons, <laughs> the demons. Oh, those words are just too close together. That being swept and put in order will not be enough, that the vacuum left by the demon is an invitation for even more powerful demons to enter and dwell there. That's what verse 26 says. That makes the person's new situation, again the verse says, worse than even it was at first. You had a demon, it was exercised, there was a void in your life because you had the demon out of there, but then you didn't invite the Holy Spirit to indwell. Exorcism is not enough. Without the Holy Spirit indwelling, here's what you have. A house where there's no lock on the door. There's no security system. There's no, uh, there's no security person patrolling the grounds to make sure. No guards to deter the intruders. The place is wide open. And inviting. Now what I'm really saying is this. Whether you have a demon in your life or not, If you're not in Christ, then you're being influenced by the forces of evil in this world. And maybe maybe you've come here to harvest and and you like it here because it kind of helps you in some way to just feel better about yourself or you feel peaceful while you're here, that you're centered in some way, that you come and you enjoy the music. The music's amazing. And it makes me feel so peaceful and I'm so uplifted. And, and you like the people that you sit with and around and you see they're so friendly and it's great to spend time with them and they seem to genuinely care about me. When you hear the word of God and it's, it's inspiring and it's challenging and I love to think about the things that I've heard. And some things in your life begin to actually get cleaned up a little bit because of the influence of all of these things, but it stops short at you actually giving your life to Jesus Christ. That there hasn't actually been surrender yet. You've just cleaned the house up a little bit. It's been swept clean and you're giving the appearance of actually being in Christ, but you're not. There's really no benefit in that, and there's much danger 
cleaning up your place a little bit, taking in a little religion, a little spirituality, but without fully surrendering your life to Jesus Christ is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. I've cleaned it up, but I haven't filled my life with God's Holy Spirit. I haven't given myself to him, and the demons will see that empty, cleaned-up house as an opportunity, an invitation to wreak all kinds of further and even greater havoc in your life. They're determined. And notice third here, they're working together. We saw in verse 26, and, and it's again there in, in, it was stated previously in verses 17 through 19, Jesus is using simple logic here to argue against those who were saying, in fact, that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, just another name for Satan. So Jesus, obviously what you're doing is you're doing this by the power of Satan. These are the religious leaders that are talking, of course. You're casting out demons by the power of the king of demons. And Jesus uh, addresses the illogic of that because no kingdom is ever going to stand if it works against itself. Jesus, as part of the Trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in concert with the holy angels of God who do his bidding, are working toward the full glory of Jesus Christ being revealed. All of them working together, one team, one purpose. But the unholy angels, the demons, and Satan, Beelzebub, the devil, are also a team and working in concert together to fulfill their unholy purposes. And so there's never a time, it's not even logical, Jesus says, it's not even logical that Satan would ever cast out one of his demons from someone that, whose life he's trying to wreak havoc in. It doesn't even Make any sense, Jesus says. And Jesus exercising his power here is exercising it as a full revealing of God's eternal kingdom in this world. Jesus is declaring by his power that's coming from the Father. He's saying God's kingdom has arrived, though we know not yet fully realized. But everybody's working together. No one's working against their own team. But as far as Satan and his demons go, even though they're working together, it isn't enough. Even though they're powerful, even though they're unified in what they're doing, Satan's end is inevitable. His demons are fighting a losing battle. The dark kingdom is already crumbling. And again, we look at what's been going on in our world in the last several weeks, and we say the darkness is just intensifying, and it seems to be getting worse. But please understand, these are the death throes of a desperate kingdom that's crumbling. The demons are fighting a losing battle. The cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb were the decisive blow. The final victory is coming for sure. 
But until therein, notice this uh, finally, they're, they're powerful, they're working together, they're determined, and they're focused on creating disorder in your life. Now, obviously, there was disorder in this man's life. That's their mission. He was, again, mute. That was the disorder in his life. Verse 22, the strong man, of course, is the demon or Satan. He's guarding his own palace. And he's making sure, notice in verse 22, he's making sure that his goods are safe. Do you know what Satan's prized possessions are? Do you know what his goods are? Do you know where his wealth is? Do you know what it is? It's us. Well, it's not me because I'm in Christ. And if you're in Christ, it's not you. But if you're not in Christ, then you are his goods. You are part of his treasure. You are owned by him and he is guarding you in the treasury of his palace. And he's focused on creating increased disorder in your life by keeping them safe, he means he's keeping you under his evil influence with pain, with torment, with despair. And afflictions of all kinds, or in some cases, because it isn't always dark like that. Remember, Satan has various tactics, but sometimes this is what Satan does. He gives you everything you want. Sometimes he prospers you and he and he makes sure you have everything you need and you have it all around you. And so you get to this place where you go, I'm successful in my job and I have a good marriage and I have my kids around me and I have all of this wealth and I have influence in the world and I have lots of friends. Why do I need God? He's focused on creating, to see that too, that too. It doesn't look like disorder, does it? But anytime there's anything in our lives in the place of God, it's disorder, it's out of order. Because disorder can be created in so many different ways. And verse 26 again shows the intent to destroy by creating chaos and confusion and despair and disorder in your life. Demons have no other purpose. I mean, as we meet here today, it's the right in the middle of what has been a pretty amazing summer. Uh, lots of sunshine days, lots of warmth, and lots of opportunity to be out. And some of you have had opportunity to be on vacation, or that's still going to happen, and you're going you're gonna to set time apart, and you're going to get away, and you're going to enjoy that time as a family. Cheryl and I are just back from three weeks off, and we had a great time just uh, refreshing and relaxing and, and, and getting back to a place where I'm ready to do what I'm doing again. But I took a break, if you will, if you're not offended by this, for three weeks, I just tried not to be a pastor. And that's Sabbath, that's rest. And God intends that for us and knows that we need it. But can I say, even though human beings need that, demons don't and they never take vacation. They're never not on the job. And Jesus even says here that when a demon gets cast out, 
that he goes and he tries to find a place. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. It's looking for it, but it doesn't find it. And so then it goes back to find a person whose life it can upset and torment. They're not on vacation. They're not taking a break. There are no days off. They know their end is coming. They know it better than we do. And so they're desperate to take as many of us as they can with them into the abyss. That said, notice the three reactions to Jesus' encounter here with the demon. This is going to help us to understand the reactions that people have to Jesus today with whatever he does in our lives. And first, uh, there's amazement. Again, uh, verse 14, take a look at it. He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. And notice what did it say? The people, they marveled. They were in wonder. They were amazed. They were in awe of Jesus. This isn't unusual at all. It's very common for people. And we see it here repeatedly. People who have never known Jesus and they uh, might start coming here and they uh, listen to the worship. They hear the preaching. They interact with some of our people and they just go, I've never been to a place like this. I've never met a people like this. I've never heard the word preach like this. I've never been part of worship like this. And they're in, amazed by what they're seeing and what they're hearing and the changes that are happening around them. It's common for people to be in wonder of Jesus Christ. For the Holy Spirit to be giving them an understanding and an experience like they've never had before. They get under the authority of God's word and they find a God who is answering their questions. They have a book that's providing light to their path a direction for their life, who's giving insight into all of their challenges and bringing everything together that once never made sense and now it starts locking into place. God and his word who speaks into my situation and who gives me life revealing my heart. How is it that the word of God knows when I come here on the weekend and I hear the preaching and knows what I was thinking this week and knows what's been in my heart and speaks right into my situation, how does that happen apart from the Spirit of God? And we should be in awe of that. We should never stop being in awe of that and amazed by what God does. And so many have come to faith in Christ here saying, well, they knew about Jesus. They knew about him. But once they heard the word, they knew Jesus in a way they never had before. Now, that's not everyone, obviously. I hope that we continue to be amazed by God's word and what he's doing here and that it never becomes tired for us. But that's not everyone. And that wasn't the only reaction here. Some, verse 15 tells us, some show open hostility uh, toward Jesus, in fact. Verse 15, but some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now, the word hostile isn't actually there. It doesn't tell us they were hostile, but I'll just do a little deductive reasoning here. And if you actually call someone a devil, they're not your friend. You're not going out for coffee with them afterwards. There's some animosity here if you consider or if someone considers you to have a demon or to be a demon. And 
Jesus, no doubt, is speaking here to the religious leaders who have a recurring role in his life and dog him the entire length of his ministry and eventually colluded with the Romans, arm-twisting them to crucify him. Jesus, in fact, doesn't see much of a distinction between these religious leaders and the demons. He knows that the religious leaders are working in concert with the demons. Their purposes are the same. The purposes of the demons and the religious leaders were the same. Stop Jesus. Stop him from doing miracles. Stop him from teaching. Stop him from uh, telling the people these things. And stop the people from believing him. Does that not sound like the purpose of the religious leaders and of the demons? And Jesus makes that connection. And what's interesting here about these hostile people and their reaction to Jesus is that the one thing they're not denying is the actual miracle. They're not denying that the demon was cast out. That's not an issue for them. They're just denying the power, the source of the power that cast out the demon. That's a little different than us because today what people doubt is the actual casting out of the demon. We doubt the miracle in our culture today and in these days. But again, the only issue is where the power was coming from to actually do it. Now, a final thing about this hostility reaction, this hostile reaction, I, I wonder if you would agree with me that the hostility, any hostility that exists today toward the gospel, the church, and to, and to believers, followers of Jesus Christ, would you agree with me that that's just going to start increasing? That it's already been increasing in recent days? And that as the followers of Jesus Christ if we truly have the Holy Spirit in us, we're just going to need to live with that new reality. And Christ followers, loved ones, I would just say to you, let's buckle up for this because it's going to be uh, quite the ride as the society around us increasingly becomes hostile to the things that we believe and the things that we preach. All right, here's a third reaction, skepticism. Now notice verse uh, 16 here. While others, this is a third group now, those who were amazed, those who were hostile. Now others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Others skeptical. But in fact, these aren't, because um, some people are skeptical, but we might consider them to be sincere seekers. In other words, they're not quite at the place of believing in Jesus, but they've got some things going on in their life, and they're starting to think about this, and they're reading the Bible a little bit, and they're coming to weekend services, and they're talking to people who they know are believers, and they're just kind of investigating and seeking it out because some things are going in their life that are leading them in that direction. And, and this is not what this verse is talking about, not that person at all. If you're here and that's you, awesome, we're glad you're here. Keep seeking, keep uh, searching out even though you still have some skepticism in you. But, but these people were in a very different place knowing that they were actually seeking to, verse 16 says, they were seeking to test Jesus. This wasn't so much about them coming to a place where they believed, but they were actually looking for a way to trip Jesus up. They're looking for ammunition against him to condemn him. And that's why the verse says they kept seeking for a miraculous sign. It was never going to be enough, and there was nothing Jesus was going to say or do that was going to convince them 
otherwise. And there's every indication that their desire for a sign was a stall tactic to, to delay their acknowledgement or to cast doubt in the minds of others who were hearing. They didn't want to believe and they were throwing up every roadblock they could think of. Nothing Jesus would do or say, as I said, would satisfy their demands. And so there's those who are amazed and those who are hostile and those who are skeptical. And in those last two groups, really what it is, is a, a reaction that is a challenge to the authority, that's the important word, the authority of Jesus Christ. And there's nothing new because everything about Jesus' message challenges the illegitimate authorities that are in this world. Now, what about you? Are you amazed by Jesus? Are you amazed by his word? Are you hostile toward him? Are you skeptical, continuing to throw up roadblocks to what he's saying? Now, I'm, I'm fully aware that as a preacher of Jesus Christ, because this comes down to a matter of authority, I realize that I am in a minority when it comes to those who believe the authority of God's word is for them, that actually live their lives, there's so few people who do this, who live their lives, I hope this is you, under the authority of God's word. This word gets to dictate all matters of life and practice in my life and this is an issue in our country. Faith Today magazine, the current issue, uh, uh, did a little survey, and a, a component of that was this, Canadians' view of morality. And uh, this is always the, the key issues. It's where we live. And, and so here's the thing, and this comes down to this issue of, of absolutes and morality and what we believe in. Is Jesus Christ our authority? Is the Word of God authoritative? And only 16% of Canadians believe in moral absolutes. That's where, I, that's where I'm standing. I'm in the 16%. I know a lot of you are as well. 16% of Canadians believe in moral absolutes, that things are either right or wrong. 41% believe that there are moral guidelines, no absolutes. And we have some guidelines. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. 41%, things are usually right or wrong, but not always. 43% believe that there are lots of moral gray areas, and very situational here, it depends on the circumstances. And so rather than saying, no, this word is going to dictate what I believe about this, I'm going to look at the circumstance and evaluate the whole thing, and then decide. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to persuade you of where you should be, really. I know where I am. I would hope that you would stand on the authority of God's word, but I'm trying to give you the context of where we live. And in this confrontation that Jesus is having, he declared some moral absolutes here. That he's actually defining that there are things that are evil and there are things that are good and that in order to have that perspective and get to that place, you need to have a firm foundation on the Word of God, and you need to be grounded in a right view of who God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus is essentially giving us the path to the reconciliation with God, and there's only one way to get there, and it's through Him. And if that's not clear yet, it's going to become clear in the last few verses. 
And to this day, all of this comes down to a matter of authority. Who's governing your life? And who are you going to believe? And will we stand in the face of the growing skepticism and hostility in our day and stand on the absolutes of God's word? Four things you need to know about demons, three uh, reactions to Jesus' encounter with the demon, and really only two options in front of you. Do you see this in your notes? You're with him or you're against him. Now, I know there's three reactions, but there's only two options. You're with him or you're against him. And those words are pulled right out of verse 23. You see Jesus say there, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, one of the devils, this is, this is, a, hard, this is a hard thing Jesus is saying. Would you agree? This is a hard thing that Jesus is saying. And one of the devil's lies, one of his most effective lies that, that he's kind of spreading these days is this one-dimensional view of Jesus. You see, see, the devil doesn't mind us talking about Jesus as long as Jesus is distorted from the Jesus of the Bible. And so one of the lies that he tells is this, that Jesus is grace-filled and merciful and loving and self-sacrificing, period. Now, are all those things true of Jesus? Of course they are. They're all true of him. But in addition to being loving, we know from the word that Jesus is also a holy God and that he has righteous demands. In addition to being grace-filled, we also know that Jesus is a truth-teller, that he is full of grace and full of truth. We know both of those things about Jesus. And so this one-dimensional view of Jesus isn't helpful. It's actually a lie of the devil to put a period at the end of all the nice things we like about Jesus without including also the harder things to believe about him. Because I, I look at this verse here and I just understand that this verse doesn't actually fit with, at first glance, the grace-filled, merciful, loving, self-sacrificing Savior because he's making a distinction between those who believe and those who don't. He's saying you're in or you're not. He's putting a choice in front of us. And people don't necessarily like that. He goes on to say, again in the latter part of that verse, whoever does not gather with me scatters. And this is kind of a shepherding analogy. Whoever does not gather with me, whoever's not going out there to get the lost sheep, to bring them into the fold, to, to, to uh, take the message that so transformed your life and take it to others and say, let me tell you about Jesus. Would you come and see what God is doing at our church? Would you come and hear the word of God? I know your life is challenging right now. Let me help you uh, walk through that and, and to find hope in the Savior. You're out there gathering. You're finding people who aren't part of this and you're trying to bring them in. But if you're not gathering, Jesus says, then you're actively scattering. You're repelling people. You're keeping them away. You're not involved in gathering them in. 
Again, it's a hard word from Jesus. And if you're not on the program of gathering, if you're still hostile or skeptical or ambivalent or fence-sitting, then you are, by default, scattering. You're against him. Now, he's speaking to religious leaders here. And they're leading people astray with their opposition to Jesus Christ, their refusal to put themselves under his authority. And we need to understand how grace and truth work together. That we would be a church that reflects the best of Jesus Christ, who is described in John 1.14 as being full of grace and full of truth. Both of those things. So I need you to hear me out on this. In order to illustrate this, I'm just going to push the hottest of all the hot buttons. Is that okay? Is that why you come here? Please push the hottest of the hot buttons, Todd. Oh, so let's do this. You know, as a church, we're on record with regard to the matter of the same-sex question. And uh, we believe so strongly in grace and creating a grace environment here. And we want to give everyone in the room uh, the space to grow in their understanding of, of all matters of living biblically in this world, but in this particular matter of living in a way that is consistent with what we read in God's Word and God's view of human sexuality and God's view of gender. And if that's a struggle for you, again, this is the grace side of it. If that's a struggle for you, you need to understand that there's not a single person in the room who is a follower of Jesus Christ who isn't still struggling with something. That every single person in this room has their own wrestling match with God going on right now. And that every single one of us is working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That there are no exceptions to that. That there is no one in this room has arrived. I need us all to hear that. And I don't believe that the struggle with same-sex attraction is any different than any other sin struggle that we would have. We've elevated it today, and it's such an inflammatory issue. It is the hottest of the hot-button issues. But that's only because we've made it so. And it's not any more horrific than anything else you're struggling with. And I need us all to hear that if we're going to create the right kind of grace environment. Our tone on this is going to be civil and kind. And we're going to walk with one another and pray for one another along the way. That's the grace that needs to characterize this community of faith. But that said, and this is the truth part, we are resolute on the question itself that we are created male and female. That gender is binary. That marriage is to be shared between members of the opposite, opposite sex only. And that sexual activity is reserved for marriage. That's where we stand. Grace and truth. 
Now, it, it pains me to say this uh, to further the illustration so we can understand this. And having been raised in the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, my early days of hearing about God. I didn't come to faith in that church, but I certainly learned a reverence and respect for God, and I learned some things about Him that were healthy and good and biblical, but I, I just never came to faith in Him there. But I'm sad, saddened to say that the Anglican Church of Canada in the last week at its general synod chose to say something other than what the Word of God teaches about this and voted to change their marriage canon. And these leaders of the Anglican Church of Canada are scattering, to use the language now of Luke 11, Jesus' words, are scattering rather than gathering. And it's the subtle and covert work of the evil one at play to undermine a church that once stood for the gospel. And here's what you would hear from the clergy and, and the members and the bishops who voted for this change to allow same-sex unions. You'll hear all the words that we would use. They'll speak of Jesus and they'll speak of grace and they'll speak of love and they'll speak of inclusion and how we can't exclude these brothers and sisters who embrace this lifestyle. But they put a period at the end of that sentence. And they refuse to acknowledge the truth, the harder edge of all of this. But they've swept the house clean without inviting the Holy Spirit and the authority of God's word to occupy the house and it has now invited something worse than the first. You're either with him or you're against him. And I know that there's some objections at this point to all of this, to this strict view of just one or the other. Some would feel there is a third category, that there are those who would be fence-sitters, that there are those who are seekers, that there are those who are well-intentioned skeptics, not the kind of skeptics we were looking at. But Jesus doesn't really even leave that possibility open to us. There are only two options. If you're a fence sitter, then you're still sitting on the fence. You haven't declared, and so you're still against him. If you're a seeker, you're still seeking, and you haven't arrived, and you're not with him. If you're a skeptic, you don't yet believe, and there's no, no guarantee you're going to believe. So you're against him. Now these aren't the words of the preacher. These are Jesus' own words. You're either with him or you're against him. Now here's the great news. You can do something about that. But let me say before you make any decisions that following Jesus Christ is not a casual enterprise at all. It isn't a hobby, it's not a sideline. You should never say, you should never say, Jesus is a part of my life. Jesus is life. He is your life. You have no life apart from him. He's not a part of anything. 
It's all of him or it's nothing. And so Jesus indicates here that there's one line in the sand. One commentator said that neutrality with regard to Jesus Christ is impossible. You follow him or you don't. You love him or you don't. You have faith or you don't. You're devoted to him or you don't. It's 100% Jesus or it's zero. And so Jesus kind of says it here, will you hear the word of God and keep it? These are the last couple of verses, but evidently there was a woman in the crowd who was part of the amazed group of people. She was an enthusiastic Jesus supporter, and she says in verse 27, it says this, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast in which you nursed. Obviously, she was a, a mother herself, right? Let's, let's affirm moms. Yay moms. Yay, moms. Okay, a mom would know. And she wants to affirm the mom who had this son. She's essentially saying, your mom must be so proud of you. You must have a great mom at home. But the problem with that is, and of course, did he have a great mom? He certainly did. And Jesus would acknowledge that. He would be so respectful of that for sure. But, but Jesus kind of corrects the woman here. You notice in verse 28, but he said, a blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You see, having a baby, even having a great kid is really just a matter of biology. Any mom can have a great kid just by virtue of birthing them. Some kids just turn out great. And Jesus knows that there's a lot more going on here than mere biology, that his mom, when that angel showed up in her living room and gave the pronouncement of what was going to happen, that his mom said, uh, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so Jesus says it in a really general way here. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. He says that, but you know he's thinking about the fact that his mom did that. She heard what the angel said and she just said, I'm going to keep the word of God. And that becomes the example to every one of us. That's the line in the sand. Are you going to hear the word of God and keep it or not? That is the line in the sand for you right now. And for some, that means the line in the sand is this. You're not following Jesus Christ yet, and it's time that you made that decision. Maybe you've been religious. Maybe you've known about God all of your life, but that actual moment where you are converted, where you give your life to him, that hasn't happened for you yet, and it needs to happen right now. You don't even need to wait till the end of the message. You don't need to pray with an elder. You can say right now, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to follow you 100%, fully devoted. That's a decision some, some need to make here, but some of you, you are followers of Christ, but here's what's happened, and this is, this is the line in the sand for you. You've been creeping ever closer to that line, and you've been giving opportunities to the evil one in your life. The door is cracked open to some kind of evil influence in your life, and that needs to be repented of right now. You need to hear the word of God and keep it. And so what will you believe? Single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ and his word is the only guaranteed protection against demonic activity 
in your life. The demons don't want you to believe in that, and the demons don't want you to believe in them. But they're active, and they want to lead you astray. Many of you will know the name uh, Keith Green. He was a recording artist in the 1980s, so much more than that, really, a prophet and a preacher. He died very young, and he left a legacy in his songs. And I, I just want to close by, by reading the lyrics of one of his songs, and it's unique because, listen, it, it's written from the perspective of Satan, and so the final word in this message goes to Satan and what he would say to us. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make your night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. I, you know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind my books read on your shelf. And have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They dabble in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You know, they heard the truth but turned away. And they followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. You know, no one's watching for my tricks since no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. You've got the truth within. And as your life slips by, you'll believe the lie that you did it on your own. But don't worry. I'll be there to help you share our dark eternal home but my job keeps getting easier as day slips into day the magazines and newspapers print every word I say the world is just my spinning top it's all like child's play you know I dream it'll never stop but I know it's not that way still my work goes on and on stronger than before I'm going to make it dark before the dawn because no one believes in me anymore. Let's pray. God, we're grateful um, to you, a Father, for the decisive way in which Jesus confronted the evil in our world. We're grateful for the clarity of his words. There really ought to be no confusion at what we've heard here today. Evil's all around us. We need to be vigilant and in your word and filled with your spirit. We need to be on the right side of that line in the sand. And so God, help us with that. Help us to be faithful to you and to heed your words. And for those on the wrong side of the line right now, Father, may they choose in this very moment to give their life to follow you. These things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. 
We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.